0: The pursuit of truth in our society is broken, and a shift has happened in how we respond to information. And as the church, we should be hesitant to align ourselves with the official messages, all of the things which come out in our world. We should gird up our loins and start testing the fruits of our institutions, while at the same time proactively proclaiming the gospel of Christ Jesus as the only real alternative to the sufferings of this world. In our episode today, we're going to discuss the moon landing, the fact that Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself, and how our society is held hostage by fake virtues. So we've got a lot of things going on with some very serious conversations. We're going to open, of course, with something a bit more fun. So thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Lagos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Proctor, and there are a few others with me here in the studio.
1: I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow.
2: And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And Pastor Mike, would you go ahead and open up in prayer for us? Absolutely. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to uh, gather together. and Even those who are streaming and watching, uh, Lord, they are gathered together in this discussion. And Lord, just pray for your spirit to rest upon each and every one of us to give us uh, wisdom and inside, Lord, and to promote unity. We also pray, Heavenly Father, for truth and uh, to be revealed. We pray for each and every uh, viewer today that they may receive a, a blessing from you, uh, in the sense that they are drawn closer to you, and that they experience in uh, the, the love and grace and comfort that you have in, in uh, as as our God. So, dear Lord, bless this time we have. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: So we're going to be discussing the moon landing in our B segment. So we'll get there in a a moment. We're going to be talking about Jeffrey Epstein and what I believe is a huge shift in our culture. In our society, we have a shift in how we engage the truth. We're going to be talking about that in our middle segment for our Bible study, which is there at the end. We're going to discuss the biblical response to trees that do not bear fruit, specifically the fact that there is actual done by the fake virtues and meaningless slogans that are everywhere in our world. We're forced to go along with them, but they're ultimately destructive, even though they portray themselves to be either good or at least neutral. But before we get into those serious conversations, we're going to have some time with joy in God's creation. Isn't that always a good thing to do? Have joy in God's creation. Amen. Yeah, it is. And we're going to get into that by going to unholiness today. For all of you out there that are your Nazarenes, you pull out your Holiness Today magazine. Today, we're getting into unholiness today. And we're going to begin with boogie woogie for cats. Now, I've got to say, what we've got in this video that's playing is two cats, which are very much sedentary, I think that's the nicest way you can put it, they're asleep on the action of a piano. A guy's got an upright piano, the action is exposed, so in other words, there's a board removed so you can see all the hammers, the inner mechanism of the piano, and the cats are laying on the action while he's playing, and I'll play a little bit more of it. The cats don't care. <laughs> yeah. So, cats, they're a little bit of a metaphor. Well, all beasts are a metaphor for evil to an extent, their carnal nature. But cats are a lot more unpredictable than dogs are. I mean, these cats, they could just as easily decide to bite somebody as they would say they're going to lay on the piano keys. Amanda, do you have any thoughts on this?
1: <laughs> I do worry that one poor cat was uh, the orange one you um, thought was dead just because yeah. he wasn't moving. And. Um, I don't know. You could draw a parallel to how we allow things to happen um, to us in life instead of standing up and trying to remove ourselves from bad situations. But uh, it's just funny. Um, Also, uh, I think finally at the end of the video, uh, we don't have the, I guess, the clip of that, but, like, the one cat does finally move. I tried um, to
0: get that in
1: there, in there, but it, you do have to laugh at these cats that just start quite complacent in yeah. what seem would seem like misery, but yeah. they're okay with it.
2: Pastor Mike, your thoughts on that? I, you know, I, uh, first of all, I love the ragtime uh, sound of the piano, and I think that is great. Uh, and, but it, these cats, you know, they are they're well, I'm gonna say they hadn't missed many meals, and uh, <laughs> but they are they're just. You know, they apathy has set in. You can actually see the hammers on the on the piano actually working them a little bit and shaking them around. This is not the first time this has happened either. I I believe this is this is uh, something that they have grown accustomed to, uh, but it is. uh, This just looks unnatural. (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, they have done this before. Yeah. Um, So, getting on to our next thing, (laughs) cackling foxes. You know, we know of the joy unspeakable and full of glory. Seeing God's creatures laugh like this, I hope this is not what the joy unspeakable
1: is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> or hope that it's not.
0: I don't know what joke these foxes have heard or what they're telling one another, but they're just laughing it up. So, Pastor Amanda.
1: But, yeah, that's. It's definitely um they're laughing i guess so you you would imagine they maybe are having that joy unspeakable but um if i was out in the wild especially at night and i heard this this would not be joyous this would be like terror inducing um, even right now it's a little little creepy so it is yeah creepy. i would i would uh, definitely run away from this scenario uh, if i were seeing foxes kind of almost act like it's almost like a hyena so like, it is like
0: a like, hyena? hyena Nope. Well, we got to get through these rapid fire. The <laughs> next thing we're going to look at is another round one. This cat here, the absolute unit. We often wonder what it was like for Daniel in, Daniel in the lion's den. We know that he did not get eaten in the lion's den. And we typically think of the lions being vicious but somehow tamed by the power of God. They may have been tamed by the power of God, but rather than being a hungry, starving beast, you just wonder, did they look like this cat? where they're just laying here, not letting the door be opened complacently. Pastor Mike, what are your thoughts on this? I know you had a story about lions and a wildebeest.
2: Well, I did. You know, I watched another uh, little clip on on YouTube somehow. Maybe it was connected to this some way. I mean, but anyways, it was a a young wildebeest who had got separated from the herd and and, uh, a group or a pack or whatever you call them of hyenas were attacking it and and really had started it. And then out of nowhere, uh, before it was, Actually torn to shreds, a lion came in, and you think, well, this lion's going to take their the the wildebeest for his own meal, and he does it, uh, the, or she does it. She she runs the hyenas uh, in different directions and scatters them, and then you know just lets the wilde little young wildebeest calf go. And uh, later on, they say what's even more amazing is the wildebeest grows over and kind of snuggles with this uh, lioness and you know, it's just, it's amazing. No, no reaction whatsoever. And then they say, well, perhaps uh, uh, this lion was full and just kind of saying, this is a meal for later. And I'm protecting my uh, uh, refrigerator, so to speak.
0: (laughs) Yes. Well, getting on to our last story in Unholiness today, we have a five-year-old who attempted to buy a Lamborghini. Now, this is a great story. So A five-year-old boy in Utah decided to take action when his mother refused to buy him a Lamborghini. He took the family's SUV and was attempting to drive to his sister's home in California. So going from Utah to California. And he got pulled over by law enforcement. And what's fascinating about this is the law enforcement officer that pulled him over, he said, I hit my siren and the car immediately pulled over to the left. I approached the vehicle expecting to find somebody who needed an ambulance or paramedics, which is also interesting that he didn't assume it was a drunk driver. Um but he thought it was somebody that needed to go to the hospital. But it was pretty clear when the window came down that the was a very young underage driver. Evidently the boy thought his sister would help him find a dealer where he would offer up his life savings of three dollars and the officer he called the boy's parents who came and collected him and the car. So, Amanda, your thoughts on this.
1: Well, I think um it's great this little boy um at least he knew to pull off to the side um, when he saw the police, because things could have gotten, I, I guess, very badly if the police didn't know it was, a, you know, a little kid driving and thought it maybe was someone stealing the car or trying to run off from p- the police. So at least the, the, the boy decided to pull off to the side so the situation could be handled very carefully and, yeah. and safely for everyone involved. But sure. it, it is funny... Um, also that this little kid's like, oh, mom won't give me a Lamborghini. I'll go get one for $3 as if that was the you the, know, the thing that was going to hinder it. At
0: least he had aspirations. You can't accuse him of being the, the servant, and the slave
2: that buries the talent. <laughs> He's got aspirations for those $3. You got to give him that. And his, yes. not only has he has aspirations, but he is inspiring other five year olds all <laughs> over the world. Yes. Uh,
1: got to make sure that car is locked. Yep.
0: Yep.
2: But, you know, oh. there, there is a saying that goes, uh, an old saying says, what we do in our, in moderation, our children do in excess. And so I think there's actually a wonderful story here that this child has watched it, uh, his parents drive or someone drive or watched it on TV or something enough that he can actually start a vehicle and drive it yeah. uh, to the point that, and, and maybe this is uh, what we do in moderation, our children do in excess. But uh he even knew that when the when the siren lights ca- came on to pull over. And so I don't know if he had witnessed that before or not. But <laughs> and to that point, at least the
0: police, they handled this maturely. They did. Yeah. They they basically just called the kids' parents, they let the parents come pick him up. They didn't do some overreaction. And thank
2: God no one was hurt yeah, or they yeah, they didn't it was great.
0: They didn't respond to this. Absurdly. So that that's cool. But
2: I think it's key to understand, though, that whatever we're doing in life, someone is observing that, and that we are ch- teaching our children in every action that we take. And, sure. and you know, you see see this young child actually, so, to some degree of success, yeah. uh, <laughs> taking an adventure to purchase a Lamborghini. Yep.
0: Well, we'll be back with our. Big conversation on the moon landing and a shift that has happened in society. So, thank you for joining us, and we'll be back here in a moment. All righty. So we're going to come back and have a conversation that's a lot more serious than when we're just having fun with <laughs> things that you find on the Internet. So a big shift has happened in our culture. And I've got a, a theory and proposition that I just want to posit to you all and have out there clear for the whole world to see. kind of staking my flag right now, like the flag that was staked there on the moon. We have had a shift in our culture. And this shift in particular that's happened is we're at a place now where it does more damage to our societal cohesion when we go along with the experts and the official messages that are presented to us rather than to start from a point of questioning them and particularly this goes back to the Jeffrey Epstein moment um, when Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself we were presented out in broad daylight with the story with a man who was the world's most notorious pedophile Who had already been convicted he was about to depose and give names of people in media outlets in hollywood politicians give out their names in a public deposition and i guess he was going to do that in a deposition so it's going into the public records i should say so it's not like a big press conference or something but he's he's doing this where it'll be officially known and we're told to believe that he he killed himself through the means of being on suicide watch and even if you're not an expert You know that suicide watch, you know that generally lasts two weeks, he was taken off of that prematurely. There were no other inmates in the cell with him or any inmates around, no one to hear him. He had things in the jail cell he shouldn't have had. The cameras all were suspiciously not working around where he was at. The guards were asleep, and when they found his body that was dead, the coroner that actually saw the body said this was murder by strangulation. And the only one that said it was suicide was a coroner that didn't even see the body. Because his neck was broken in ways that's not possible by hanging in a jail cell because the force of gravity won't break those bones. You've got to either be dropped from like a very high up tree through strangulation and got the wrong length rope to do that to you or have somebody crush your neck with your hands. But the public story is that all of these things just coincidentally happened and he killed himself. And it's obviously a complete sham. It's probably one of the biggest lies that we've had thrown out in the the public and it's it's pretty clear that you are a conspiracy theorist if you believe the official story. And this doesn't happen overnight. And the way that our culture has responded to the coronavirus, which is a real virus, but there's also been a lot of very suspicious things done in response to the coronavirus that don't make sense, things that don't add up, policies and responses that, that are not rational. And they brand you as being raving or crazy if you, you question them. But the truth is, Is a lot of these people, whether it be the CDC, the World Health Organization, they have lined up with China, who is a creative access country, not because it's easy to preach the gospel there. Um, They've lined up one way and then things have gone a different direction. So they flip flopped in the wind. And the truth is, is our large institutions in the world have gotten to a point where it does damage to go along with just whatever the experts say. And we're going to get into the moon landing in a second, but I want to stake my flag before we get to that conversation. We're going to frame all this around the moon landing, but there has been this shift in our culture where it is damaging for us to immediately take whatever story is handed to us from the news, through our experts, through our official messaging, rather than to start from a point of skepticism that says, the world is filled with people who were all born sinners. We're all degenerate reprobates till we come to Christ And some of these degenerate reprobates are willfully trying to be manipulative. And it's pretty obvious. This is just the sin nature working itself out. But that's the, the shift that I want to stake really quickly. And we're going to be talking about this. And again, just to clarify it, it does damage to our social cohesion to go along with the official narratives is kind of what I'm saying. And I realize a lot of people are going to be resistant to this thing that I'm saying because many of our leaders whether they be in, in churches and other institutions, and a lot of our older generations, they think that it does damage to society and its institutions if you take that contrarian viewpoint. If you start from a point that says you're you're questioning the narrative, they're going to write that off as saying you're a young person who's rebellious, you know, you're not capable of painting the Mona Lisa, so you're taping a banana to the wall and calling it art because you can't reach that high echelon. But the truth is a lot of us who— someone like myself pastor amanda we've got to an age where we're out of that juvenile adolescence we're not at just the pure rebellion stage and we're starting to see that the church loses her credibility when we line ourselves up with a narrative that says jeffrey epstein killed himself um because it's so obviously a sham when we line ourselves up with shams because we're afraid of damaging the cohesion of society you know you don't want to live in a banana republic so you don't want to to just question everything well the truth is the world went there anyway and now that you're already in the banana republic if you if you line up with that then you you're you you're not being that alternative to the world that the that creation needs that creation groans for where the church isn't being the church and many of us who are young adults who are our leaders and just young adults leading in our lives We realize that we have passed the moment in society. I think the Jeffrey Epstein moment, I'm going to stake that flag there. It was that turning point where big, bold lies are being told to us out in the public. So we're going to talk about the moon landing now um, because this is a great template for us to talk about this. So let's just have some opening thoughts about the moon landing, if we can. (laughs) Amanda, do you have any opening thoughts on the moon landing?
1: Uh, no, not really. I just um, I I mean, I find it funny. I know it is a big conspiracy about what we did, and there's a lot of room in this discussion of where people might find themselves in it, um, as far as if we did or if we didn't. Um, and I I don't know, to be honest, there there is some humor in it as well. Uh, cause like right now, all I can imagine is um, oh Independence Day. Mm. <laughs> that movie with Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum—you're just like, you know, um, yeah, the aliens are just around the corner. That's why they had to cut the footage of the the moon landing because they were about to catch the alien ship. Oh, I see. Or Bigfoot or something. <laughs> Pastor Mike,
0: do you have any thoughts on the moon landing before we get into it and in some some different evidence?
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, I think in my generation we grew up and we, you know, we were taught things in school and everything, and it, you know, the things that were presented to us, we just took them as fact and truth. Um, and so I think for for my generation, and, and particularly me, I, I struggle with the fact where if one element is wrong, then I want to just say the whole thing is wrong. And so I have to, you know, retrain my brain to say, okay, is it possible that the the moon landing actually happened, but some of the uh, footage and stuff is actually fake in order to say, okay, we lost transmission or whatever, but we still need to uh, promote this as a victory. And I'll, I know I'm getting down a. Weird conspiracy theory, but there are some truths. But there's still manipulation going on, and it's tried to. Well, I think there's a part, especially for my age group and generation, that says it's either all true or it's all false, and we have to to try to sort through it. It's very taxing. uh, Yeah, yeah. And
0: to to the point of what I'm making here is the not individuals, but the meta narratives that are forced upon all of us as individuals they have gotten to a ludicrous and absurd point in our society and it just flat out like you see all of these social media movements and things that crop up and then you find out that they're basically all political shams just like wholesale and you look at even something like jeffrey epstein where we're all told to comply with this it does make you want to reject everything and say if it's said on the news i want to believe 100 percent the opposite and this puts us in a place where there's been a shift that happens and the church we have to be proactive in leading people towards truth, be people interested in being the voice of truth rather than just the voice that, that feels good or gives people the warm fuzzies. Um, so are you all ready to get into some yeah. of these pictures and talk about them? Yeah.
2: Did you have something you wanted to say? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, like uh, back reaching back to the Jeffrey Epstein case, you know, and, and – I think a lot of this manipulation and, and it deals with this whole idea of well, you gotta you know, this is the narrative. And for someone out there, and I'm sure there were several that said, you know, if you uh, you know, depose this list, this black list of people that you're supposedly going to, to do, then you're you're writing your death sentence. Now um, in other words they could they could twist that and say that's just part of the narrative he committed suicide but the truth is we the definitions change and oh, yeah. obviously this is some form of murder uh, just looking at the actual uh, verifiable um, evidence that is that has been made to the public and so all of a sudden opinions and narratives become part of the manipulation for someone's, idea of a a certain ideology and often that is so much tied with power and authority and and abuse of authority sure so
0: for a while I've been saying that truth is unattainable in our culture and we've got something I want us to talk about the moon landing which with the moon landing you know the truth is unattainable for us none of us are able to go and get up on the moon and find out if there's evidence of what happened uh, actually close to 50 years ago now Um, Mm. yeah um, yeah. yeah, we're we're here in twenty twenty so well, we're I was trying like to think my mom 51? was
1: born oh no, it wasn't the moon landing, it was when um Glenn circumnavigated there, so I guess that was afterwards. Never mind. Okay.
0: Well, so these pictures have been brought up that show a particular piece of landscape in Hawaii that look almost identical to the footage that is there in the moon. So I, I've pulled this up where we can see it. Um, I've got a couple of different versions of it, and I've tried to put them together where you can see them. It almost looks like the picture from the moon is a mirrored version of the, the landscape from Hawaii. I mean, you get the basic same geography. The topography is basically the same. And a lot of people have looked at this, and they say, okay, so this is pretty hard evidence that they filmed this year. And beyond this, we have known that some of the footage from the moon landing was damaged and and then kind of reconstructed. I know that there was some promotional stuff that they put out where it's, it's actually one of the training videos they had before they left, where it's just the guy mirrored and they make it look like he's in space when he really wasn't. And a lot of people, they look at this and they say, okay, so we know that some of the footage, like the promotional video taken from the training exercise and then plastered us saying it's in space, they know that was a fake piece of footage that was put together. They've taken that and they said, well, wholesale, this must mean that the moon landing didn't happen, <laughs> which is not unreasonable. I mean, it's, it's kind of like when people, they're in a relationship And they find out that their boyfriend or girlfriend cheated on them. And so they kind of get utterly depressed because it's like your ability to perceive the world just collapsed. You couldn't even tell how the person that you're closest to was living their life. So therefore, maybe you are. That's why you see a lot of times people get in fights and they say, Well, you think I'm stupid. I must be the dumbest person ever. They have this sort of reaction to it, which boils down to my ability to perceive the world just collapsed. With the moon landing, when you find out that some of the footage was faked or you find credible landscapes on earth where they could have filmed this. You, you start to have that same breakdown where you say, well, maybe my ability to perceive truth is so utterly gone that it is all fake. The whole moon landing never happened. And it's it's a logical stance to take, but I'm kind of positing this that says me personally, the, the man over here running the, the computer, um, I'm willing to believe that we did go to the moon. And that for some reason, I mean, you have never been to the moon. You don't know what it's going to be like to, to take pictures. I mean, we're in a studio. We know what the variables are in here and it still takes like 30 minutes to get the cameras going. Um, they had to read, either redo some of the footage or they just weren't able to make the footage. Maybe it got damaged in radiation. I'm willing to believe that it is possible that you went to the moon and then also had to make the footage separately. I mean, when I preach sermons on Sunday, I oftentimes do them here in the studio because it is an absolute train wreck to try to run streaming software, to have somebody work a camera, a microphone in the sanctuary while I'm preaching. And you all run into this. Like, it's it's almost impossible to do those live at the same time. Like, you've got to do it a day in advance um or something like that either so what are your thoughts on this whole concept of the moon and how it does break people's trust overall in our institutions when they see something that's an obvious sham and it does take us to the point of total rejection um just thoughts on that
1: yeah i think i i mean it makes sense and we can kind of parse out but also playing off what pastor mike said earlier we have to be able to kind of differentiate and sort out the material And not go 100% all of it's trustworthy or all of it's fake. Um, You know, there aren't aliens... Well, we don't know. But there probably aren't aliens hiding behind the moon to come and attack us. Um, But, like, more seriously, we do have to, I think, apply the skills that we have. And also, to your point earlier you made, it is difficult. Because we've been taught to trust in experts. and, And, again, we don't need to throw out everything an expert says either. But we do have to test what's being said so it's almost in this age of information it becomes very difficult to know you know you see something on facebook odds are it's probably false um you know or if you see something i know growing up as a kid in wikipedia really more like a teenager wikipedia was so new and they're like don't trust wikipedia like there were certain things we could go for sure if it's on the site we know it's false move on but as information comes out more and more freely not only are we having better access to the truth we're having more access to to falsehoods or partial truths or partial lies and it becomes very difficult to then you know if we can't trust the experts who do we trust or we can only trust certain experts or sometimes the experts well-meaning can still be wrong and so it just becomes very complex and very uh frustrating well, to,
0: to kind of put a thread through some of the things you talked about when wikipedia first came out it was known for being this really unreliable source that's kind of changed a little bit in yeah. recent years and to the point that you made there, what we've seen happen is when Wikipedia first came out, like a lot of the experts were still more objective than they are now. And Wikipedia was more. The Anyone few people, could post anything yeah, about whatever. Whoever was, the yeah. few people that were on the Internet at the time um, did what they wanted. But now you've kind of seen the experts take the more opinionated and things like Wikipedia really take. I'm not going to say an objective stance, but more objective than it was in the past. Well, and it's kind have, of been refined by time a little yeah, bit.
1: Yeah, and you have to have cite. You have to cite things. Like you can't just say, you know, in an article about this person or this event, you can't just say this happened. You have to say this happened and then how. Go to a primary source. So like all textbooks. Uh, even dictionaries are uh, encyclopedias are secondary sources they they've gotten their information from somewhere else they've either condensed it or synthesized it and so you know wikipedia is that secondary source and so they're saying yeah. well, you have to then cite the primary source and it is and especially when we're talking about the moon landing it It is. We do. We can fall down the rabbit hole and go into Wonderland so quickly where yeah. it's like a double agent or a triple agent or, a, you know, quadruple agent. We get all mixed up. We don't know what side anything is on. And we want to be people of reason. We want to be people of compassion and grace. Um, we want to be logical. And there is this logic that does say, and, and I think i wonder, wondering, something just dawned on me when you were talking earlier about you know the space age and there's there's been this kind of romanticism that we have with going back to the good old days. And I wonder if that's founded in this idea of simplicity where you could just trust yeah, the leaders. You know, and not that we probably should have even then, uh, let's be honest with ourselves, but we have gone so far down the rabbit hole that maybe as we look back, whether it's in our lifetime or our parents or our grandparents' lifetime and be like, at least there was a sense of security that when they said we went to the moon, we're like, yep, we did. And that was it. End of story. And again, I'm not saying people were were that simple. I think some people even questioned probably then. But there was the seem to be this grand uh, security and faith in our leaders. Right. And nowadays, and also rightfully so, we're like, whoa, hold up. And, yeah, and I think, that brings a yeah, lot of yeah, anxiety. Yeah, yeah.
0: And to your point, there becomes a vacuum for meaning. Nothing has meaning the reason why I bring up the moon landing is because none of us have the power to sort that out, meaning it's going to be left up to our worldview well, and our until, belief like, system Musk to make a decision. Till until, Elon Musk gets up there, then yes, maybe. until <laughs> Elon Musk. Um, but to the point of the, the moon landing and that era, when you look at people who live through that era, I think m- many of our leaders and even people who are, like, in the Church of the Nazarene, whether they be a pastor, DS, you know, working in a district office or even general church, something like that, or even university, a lot of our leaders and older generation, they think, well, you're damaging the church or you're damaging our institutions if you take the contrarian stance, um, because we need to be able to trust our experts. And there's truth in that, but we've gone so far down the rabbit hole that a lot of people our age who, again, we've passed those rebellious years. you know, There is science to say that pretty much all young people are antisocial, and by that I mean criminal rebellious. They want to act bad when they're in those adolescent years. But by the time you get to, say, Amanda and mine age, we're getting closer to 30 now. Um, or I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, but um, I'm getting close to 30. Um, we've aged out of that. And as we are in leadership roles and looking at the world, we realize that you cannot just, on the face of it, trust these people because they're going to come out and say something like, Jeffrey Epstein killed himself, and you're going to believe it and like believing it. And it starts to make you distrust how people handle everything. It makes you distrust when you see how whenever the church wants to have a conference on social issues, they pull somebody out of the university and you're like, well, that shoots your credibility almost instantaneously. And I'll go ahead and be the one who says that. I mean, it's not a guarantee, but it makes you really skeptical about it because you realize the mentality that's coming to the table isn't one that really wants to give a solution as much as they want to give something which is more palatable to the masses. You don't want to have something that really takes a stand one way or another. There's still that mentality that says we, we save the institution by our own power of looking to appease rather than to be people looking for truth. And this is really how we respond to a lot of things. Um, so I'll let you respond to that.
1: Well, and I was just insane. I think I have kind of also a theory, and it's based on some generalization, so I'm not sure how much it would work out, but especially kind of, um, I mean, if we just look into our history, we have all these kind of cultural revolutions that happened in the 60s and the 70s. And I think to a certain extent... It was needed. There were some things happening in our world that were bad, that people needed to stand up against it. But the problem was those cultural revolutions didn't give leave us with much of an answer. So yeah. it deconstructed some bad things, but it never constructed a good thing in its place. Yeah, and-, and that's why I think then we come to our generation, and then you get like to the Gen uh, Z or whoever the next ones are, and we're kind of left in this weird uh, mix-up between the, the baby boomers and the Gen... I can't even remember our parents' generation was that Y X Y I think Z, so. no X, X. No Gen
0: X because Gen X because we're j- technically Gen Y. y yeah, no millennial. So we're.
1: I think we've gotten this weird mix-up where we saw kind of the trust and the the fidelity of the baby boomers. We saw the kind of the revolution in our parents' generation in Gen and in Gen X, and now we're kind of like, well, neither really worked right so the the complete trust in the government didn't work the complete revolution against the government didn't really work what do we do and 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 that's and i think that's why they've marked that our generation and the generation after us uh that's now kind of teenagers and becoming uh young adults are like are really kind of the most cynical generation because we haven't we've we don't even have the grand dream of a revolution anymore. We don't right. have this delusion of if we fight hard enough, if we think hard enough, we're gonna make the world a better place. We're just kinda like you know, vanity vanity, all yeah, things it's, are vanity. It's not
0: an aspirational revolutionary mentality, it's more of a desperate one that says you know, cynical. Like you said, it's it's things that aren't aspirational, they're very desperate. And to the point of some things, as you said, this creates a vacuum for there, where there is no meaning. And we as the church were supposed to be giving people an alternative to this. And you were talking about things in the 60s. I'm going to assume you're talking about like the civil rights movement well, where, where uh, people are pulling. Actually, I
1: was thinking more kind of even the sexual revolution and um, it, this shift in culture where we no longer. Or you have like the the uh, the the uh, uh, the protesting against Vietnam. But yes, definitely the social or the the civil rights revolution. Uh, movement but all these movements against very bad things in our society and sometimes not even very bad things but just some misconceptions and abuses of power and we were just wanting our voice there i say we as if i was alive then um but i think people honestly it started from a place of wanting things to change and uh specifically i'm i'm I'm, i was thinking of, of some not necessarily the civil rights movement but some other ones where they they definitely deconstructed some abuses of power, but again, they didn't offer, there weren't solutions There weren't a offered.
0: solution, yeah, and that's that's the problem, which you see with a lot of this. Um, Thomas Sowell, he talks a lot about the civil rights and how with something like the civil rights movement, you had people who, who came and they wanted to deconstruct something which was actually evil. But then you had people who, who they drew their power from that, and when, say, the civil rights movement, really, it got the victories it wanted. It got the clearly defined victories like Rosa Parks. You can ride wherever you want to on the bus. We're not going to have segregation. There were people who had drawn power from that and they didn't actually care about the virtue, the good, the true and the beautiful. They were there to exploit that new revolution for power. Mm -hmm. And those people continued deconstructing things and they took playful to a place of nihilistic void. And a lot of these people now run our major institutions. (laughs) We we pretty much find now as well. Um, And there is a vacuum for meaning in our society. And we've run a little bit long in this segment. Pastor Mike, I'll let you have some thoughts on this before we get back to the moon.
2: Well, I think, <laughs> you know, we've often associated uh, people with authority and, and and power with integrity. But I want to go back to the Wilder Beast uh, video that I had I watched. And, you know, the hanger's after you, and all of a sudden the lion comes in and saves you. And then all of a sudden you want to snuggle with the lion because you think it's the savior. Well, not necessarily. Again, that's lunch later on, and he's just full. I think in the exact same context of what you're saying, you got these people where there's some bad things happening, and they want to deconstruct that, but they do not replace it with something that is of order. That yeah. it's just later for me to come and use you as right. my own prey. And I, I think you know I, that's where we are standing at today. Is is often as young people, uh, or when I say young children, including when I was a child, you know, we were taught to you know, uh, people of, of authority and power, whether it be a police officer or, or, you know, a school teacher, even a even a pastor. These are people that, that are leaders and they are people of integrity. And then all of a sudden our world comes apart and, and we start looking and seeing where maybe one out of, a you know, 100,000 have fallen or whatever the numbers might be. But it, it gets a lot of attention and, you know, we find ourselves struggling.
0: Yeah. When you see something like a police officer, well, when, kind of, our integ-
2: when integrity falls, trust falls.
0: Yes, absolutely. So just kind of wrapping all this up and getting back to the moon. I was going to go off on a, on a, on a tangent, but I'll, I'll save that for final thoughts. Um, incentive to say to the end of the program. So one of the things with the moon landing, I had never been skeptical of the moon landing till about the time of the Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> stuff.
1: Yeah
0: and and really which where we live out now in the world, after seeing such a bold lie. Be thrown out there. It, it it does give me calls to be skeptical, and that brings us to the point of you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but you need a way of navigating this. And Amanda mentioned it earlier, and I want to get back to that. We have to be willing to test stuff and not be afraid to test stuff out in the open, out in the public. Like a lot of times in the church, we're we're skeptical. Like if a pastor commits a crime, um, like a, a violent crime, like a sexually violent crime or something like that, a lot of times those want to be handled behind the scenes. I think it would actually do more for our credibility if you bring that stuff out in the public. Like, take people out and put them in the stocks and say mercy triumphs over judgment, but we're making a public excommunication where we're drawing the line here, where we're saying this is not biblical Christ-like behavior. We're making sure that people know that. I think that would do more for our credibility than trying to sweep things under the rug. My, my thought.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think obviously every situation needs to be handled with care Um And for protecting, you know, uh, extended people within any any situation. But yes, I think we do hurt ourselves, and not just our credibility, but our our faith. Yeah. When bad things, because bad things do happen, Um, you know, just because there's one pastor, one bad, you know, whatever person in leadership doesn't mean all leadership is bad. No, not at all. And I think it's quite we oversimplify and we assume the worst, or that people are, are. You know, dumb if we say, well, if we point out that one person did this bad thing, then they're just going to assume everyone's bad. Yeah. And that's not the case. And, you know, also what we do is when we hide these things and we try not to deal with them out in the open, we almost are permitting them to continue to happen. Yeah. Because we're saying it's not really that bad. It's
0: not a publicly accountable thing.
1: Right. And so there has to be. Um, there has to be a stance. And again, we have to be wise in how and who needs, you know, how we, we articulate things. But for us to deny that evil happens it is, is to permit evil to continue to happen. And again, yes, we do need to test things. And so just because some, you know, and this is why our, our judicial system is based on the concept of innocent before proven guilty. Um, but at the same time, just because you're innocent until proven guilty doesn't mean that there, there's not a trial, that there's not yeah. investigation oh, sure, done. Yeah. And so that's I think we need to apply that theory to a lot of things in our lives is, you know, hope for the best, but plan for the worst. Like we yeah. need to do that even which within- is
0: is a very biblical mentality that says you're here on this side of of Eden. And I know I use that phrase a lot, but the scriptures tell us you're going to have dark valleys, mm-hmm. but you need the rod and staff of God to give you comfort. Jesus tells us, you're going to have people who hate you for my name's sake. They're going to persecute you. There'll be people who will kill you. But don't fear those who will touch the body, but fear that which can damn the soul and hell. I mm-hmm. mean, fear, fear him who can do that. So um, just wrapping up this conversation, that is my stake. With the Jeffrey Epstein moment, and this coronavirus has exploited this, but I think it really happened in the Jeffrey Epstein moment where it makes you look like a fool if you go along with whatever the expert official narrative is, because for many people in our world, it's, it's obviously a sham. And when you want to question it, you're not doing it because you hate our institutions, because you hate our culture, because you hate all the people around it. You're doing it because you love them and you want them to grow. It's like disciplining a child. We want to see things grow. We love it. Even when I hold these criticisms with the church, it's because I love the church. It's because we love them. We know we're all capable of doing more than, than what we are. We want to be aspirationalist people. Um, and we want to be sincere and we want to actually offer up the world an alternative. So my final thought on this and then I'll let y'all kind of respond to that is for a while I've been saying that in our current culture truth is unattainable. I want to make a modification to that. Because again I can I can confess when I think when I'm when I I think things through and I realize that I'm I'm wrong when when the Holy Spirit has convicted me and I I've, I've read through scripture and I've been doing kind of a personal Bible study on the times throughout Scripture. where You find the the concept of eyes to see and ears to hear. And I realized that truth is attainable in our world. I was wrong when I said truth is unattainable in our modern world. And the adjustment I want to make on this is that truth is unattainable through mainstream messaging. But as individuals go, we as individuals, we still can attain truth and have it in our life. Truth may be unattainable through mainstream messaging because they're all held hostage by fake virtues and narrative casting, but truth is something which we can all pursue. In the mainstream, big picture stuff, a lot of times it's bifurcated and it's an exercise in tribalism, but truth is still attainable on the individual level, where we as individuals, if we have accepted the saving and sanctifying grace of God that gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. Again, this isn't about arguing about bias or what credentials some expert has, but if you have the eyes to see and ears to hear that God has given you, people can then see truth that others won't. And that boils all this down to say we need revival. When John Harper's preaching on the Titanic, know Christ Jesus and be saved, that's basically the only antidote to where our culture's at. We've gone so far down that rabbit hole of no meaning that the only antidote we have is know Christ Jesus and be saved. And without that, our society is increasingly going to a rabbit hole Where there is no return and i'll let you all respond to that before we get to our bible
2: study that's right i'd just like to say you know i think i think you're exactly right that you know uh to know christ jesus and be saved he is that uh you know ultimate justice ultimate beauty that has been lost when all of a sudden manipulation and integrity falls and and what's even worse than that is there's no accountability and so when this all comes about our hope is found in Christ Jesus, and there is a heaven, there is a hell, and that hell is an accountability. And for those victims who have been uh, abused or whatever, and nothing can be swept under the rug from God. He is a just and righteous God. So uh, for me, I, I I find that, yes, Christ Jesus is our hope. Yeah, amen. Amanda, any final thoughts on this conversation?
1: Well, I've said a lot, so I don't know what else I can say, but, I mean, I, I just— it, I think we all need to give ourselves and others enough grace to say it's very complex. And sometimes we try our hardest to figure out, um, not truth in the ultimate sense, but sometimes the facts of different situations are going on. Uh, And sometimes we, we mess up. Sometimes we trust in the wrong source and again, not the ultimate source, but I mean, maybe we trusted the wrong news source or we trusted the wrong uh, health organization or whatever it was. Uh, But so we need grace in those situations. But that doesn't excuse us from not trying to figure things out and,
0: and that is,
1: investigating as much as we can.
0: That's the biblical worldview wrapped up in a nutshell. We're to be a people defined by grace and forgiveness, but also to be serious enough to say that doesn't mean we continue down that path. Right. Um, so, yeah. Well, thank you all for this. We're going to come back with a Bible study. We do hope you have enjoyed this. Um, this has been a great conversation so far. So we'll be back here in a second. We do hope that you enjoy our programming here at Kingdom of the Lagos. We are a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. We're going to get to into our Bible study here in a moment, but I just wanted to say if you'd like to help out our program, one of the best things you can do is grab a link to our conversations and share that with your friends, family. Um, maybe you think that we're just a bad version of the 700 Club, so you want to send us to Which people? Could
1: either be an insult or a compliment. We don't know.
0: We, yeah, we don't know, <laughs> and... Do we
1: care?
0: Yeah. No. <laughs> send send us to to people you may not like, send a link of our content to them. Um so that they'll have great. to be sit they'll have to sit through us. Um if you'd like to help us out monetarily, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos. We're on YouTube, SoundCloud, download us. Again, send links to your friends, family, send us comments, send us emails at Kingdom of the Logos at Outlook.com. We love to hear from people. And yeah. That's that. So let's get into our Bible study. Had a great conversation so far. We didn't really get too so much into the antidote, but we're going to get more there now. Um, our C segment for today, our Bible study is A World Held Hostage by Fake Virtues. Now, I've been doing kind of two Bible studies in my, my private life as opposed to the kind of pastoral study I've done through Daniel. I've been going through each day of the month a different proverb that matches up with that. And I've also been looking throughout Scripture about the various Scriptures, all the New Testament, about eyes to see and ears to hear. And one of the things that I've realized is that people really do need eyes to see real virtue, and they need ears to hear real truth. And that's a spiritual gift that comes from God. It doesn't come from your expertise or anything like that. The book of Deuteronomy in chapter 29, Moses, he's been with people. Um, They've been out in the wilderness for 40 years. They have seen the greatest blessings you could ever imagine. They've been in slavery. They've seen their kill- children killed and fed into the Nile. They've seen the utmost of good and evil in the world, and they still don't have eyes to see. They're still over there you know, baking their gold into to a pot so they can make a golden calf and stuff like that and complaining to Moses, Miriam, and Aaron all throughout the wilderness, which means nothing on this world will give us eyes to see or ears to hear. It comes from God, and it's a spiritual gift that God wants you to have. He wants all of us to have, whether we're a pastor in a studio or we're sitting in our cars listening to this. And we live in a world that's constantly held hostage by fake virtues. And when I'm talking about fake virtues, I mean things that come in our culture and they go to people like you out there. They'll say, put this over your Facebook image and then you've done your virtue for today. They come to churches. They come to businesses. They come to all of our institutions and they beg us to plaster cheap, meaningless platitudes all over us that will have these messages around like togetherness or um, I forget what even some of them are. Um Amanda said it today. Oh, like,
1: we're all in this together. Whatever. Yeah,
0: we're all in this together. It, Something like that.
1: And it gets even more insulting when it's like Did you have you seen the picture? And I don't know, maybe it's a fake picture where like all these rich people get their yachts together oh, to spell yeah. out we're in this together? Like you're like No.
0: <laughs> yeah, when when the Hollywood people put their yachts together and say, We're in this together There's there's one meme that floats around where it's got this celebrity couple, um and they're sitting in something and somebody posted up on it like, I'm so poor. I don't even know what they're in. Is it a plane? Is it a yacht? Is it a car? Like, um, But we're in a world that is constantly held hostage by fake virtues. And by that, I mean messaging that is wrapped in cheap, meaningless phrases like, we're in this together. They sort of sound good. They have nice, fuzzy, warm notions. But no one really knows what they mean. And no one's really against them because there's not a deeper purpose that you can find in it. Um Amanda pointed out before the show that it's kind of like horoscopes.
1: Yeah, they're, they're just vague enough that you can. I, I always thought it was funny because I'm a triplet, right? So all three of us very drastically different personalities. And yet you could all find a, like, a semblance of truth in all of our, our the horoscopes. It's yeah. just utter, utter insanity.
0: Yeah, Fake virtues are basically horoscopes. Um, When I ever see horoscopes, I always read something other than the Leo one. I'm born in the right time of August, so I'm a Leo. And they all apply to me whether it be one for somebody born in the winter or spring, whatever, they all apply to me because they don't have any meaning. They're, they're like totally hollow. And we're held hostage by these. And to wrap up a little bit of what this is, is fake virtues, they're things that you can't really test them. You can't prove if they apply to you or not, kind of like the horoscopes. And they really are damaging in the end. Um, and we're gonna find out what the Bible says about these fake virtues, because in the end, it matters because it closes people's eyes to see real virtue and it closes their ears to hear real truth it robs our world of the joy of holiness when the only virtue we allow into the public sphere isn't really virtue it's some horoscope cheap garbage um it's garbage so we're held hostage by these ideas and things that can't be tested things that can't be proven right or wrong they're just designed to be a, a parade of a sham that you just go out there it makes you everyone feel good and you move on but it creates a crisis of meaning in our society and it pushes people to a place where they start fabricating meaning in all sorts of petty things. And, you know, what do I look like? What do I like? And it, it creates people in a kind of dystopia where they're creating destructive meanings that are self-destructive. It's really sad. And in our Bible study today, I want us to discuss how the scripture responds to these fake virtues and how we as the church, we need to rise up and reject them. Because fake virtues, the horoscope virtues, they're like a tree that refuses to produce food, fruit. It never does anything good. So let me share the C.S. Lewis quote with you, and then we'll get to the scripture. C.S. Lewis says, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but it is the form of every virtue at its testing point, which means it is the highest point of reality. So he's saying courage is when you take a virtue and you start testing it and seeing if it's really there. But we live in an era that doesn't want to test virtues. And in fact, it's very hostile to testing virtues. Our public discourse prefers words without meaning to serious conversation because serious conversation tends to make people mad when you find when the serious word of God came and manifested in human form, they crucified him. Majority of people don't like the serious conversation, Um, but let's get to Proverbs 20. And I should say that because we're naturally sinful. So it's the sin nature that doesn't like that. So it's not like, are you out there? In a majority or something like that, it's, it's about the sin nature doesn't like the serious conversation. So Proverbs twenty ten reads this. Differing weights and differing measures, the Lord detests them both. Then Proverbs 20, 23, it says, The Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales do not please him. And the King James says they're an abomination, just to throw that in there. Um, but this proverb, it's talking about the scales of justice. It's using this image. This notion that people, they come into a courtroom to have their deeds weighed out, but this applies far beyond the courtroom. It applies to our personal life, specifically how we act in the moral area. We should not walk around fooled by, ruled by foolish, uneven weights. Moreover, we should not be refusing to weigh the world and refusing to apply godly wisdom. So what are y'all's thoughts on the scales of justice and how that relates to these fake virtues about the urge we have in our society to refuse to test them?
2: Well, you know, I think there's... Uh you know the when we talk about uh, the virtues of you know beauty um, justice especially and of course truth that we live in a in a world where we, we are called to make decisions constantly and that you know the weights when it talks about weights you got you know maybe it's five pounds but all of a sudden if you're doing business with somebody and you're selling and your weight is point a half pounds, then you're cheating someone. And so I think we are called to make decisions in every part and place of our life. And that, you know, as we look to this, God detests when we make bad decisions and dishonest um, uh, gains in, in, in any of our transactions, that we're called to be a people of righteousness. And so it it is an abomination for God, for for his people, because we're created in the image of a God who is just and fair. Uh, Amanda, do you have any thoughts on this?
1: Well, I think, and also specifically as we're talking about kind of this analogy of of dishonest scales, um, this is not like... um, you know, they had a defective scale, or they didn't realize. You know, it wasn't an accident. This was intentionally putting your finger on the scale to make it weigh more, so you can get more money off of something. Or, you know, you were changed, You were um, uh, exasperating maybe the exchange rate if you were dealing internationally. Like this was v- intentionally messing up both the practice in the marketplace, and then of course in the ju- in kind of the more judicial sense. And this is what it's talking about. It's not this idea of like, oh, we messed up or there was a mistake or something happened. This is the intentional idea of we understand what we're selling is a lie. And we're still gonna kind of like, again, kind of going back to that New Testament insult, which is probably one of the best insults in the world of being whitewashed uh, tombs full of dead man's bones. This idea of looking pretty, looking nice, and yet really having nothing inside of value. Um, And so, I think we have to be very intentional in our combating of this, and also our understanding. Again, this this is intentional. This is not. This is people being cruel and manipulative and hurtful and unjust, and those we have to call that out.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. In order to make any kind of recommendation, and I just think it's 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 so easy sometimes for these things to happen. And so, you know, we're talking about, we talked to, or we talked about the moon landing. It's like, can we figure that out? And even if Elon Musk does take like commercial flights to the moon, I'm never probably going to be able to afford that in my lifetime. I can't even most of the time afford to fly to like, um, I've got to do a family trip to Charlotte at the end of the summer. And I'm like, I don't even think I can afford a ticket, you know, to that. So much less the moon. And so we, but we kind of take that mindset to a lot of our world issues and especially injustice in the world. We're like... I can't fix that. That's way above my pay grade. Yeah. Um, but we find this, like I said, this kind of analogy comes from this idea of the marketplace. It's very simple. Every day, yeah. everyone goes to it. Everyone knows about it thing. And that in those everyday monotonous things, we are called to be people of justice and truth.
0: And the reason why I bring up this scripture, the whole idea of weight of weights and scales when it comes to the fake virtues is because having fake virtues which ha- are hollow, they're meaningless, but they parade as something of substance, they are uneven weights mm-hmm. because they pretend that they have some mass, but they really, really don't. So you've got to dishonest on a scale whenever you're using them. Uh,
2: well, and often that is, well, not often, but always it's an intention on self trying to get something and abusing someone else. So it's greed and, and things, but it's all, all you know, it's, it's, it goes back to selfishness, whether it be uh, greed and, and power, greed and authority, greed and finances, greed and just a pat on the back.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things that we have messed up in the church is it's become a trope in Christianity to say no judgments or Christians shouldn't judge. But the scriptures, they that's not really what the scriptures say. The scriptures tell us not to condemn people. But the scriptures certainly don't tell us not to weigh out situations in life and make moral decisions. Um, Christians should not misinterpret these scriptures to mean that we don't make wise discernments. We we should be a, a people of a value when it comes to virtue. We should be able to to realize that that virtue itself is it is rare, it's precious. It's a commodity of holiness where we can come more and more christ-like not by our own power but because we're aspiring to things that are greater than us you know a virtue is not like a mouse where i can pick it up and hold it or something like a keyboard where it's something i can control it is something which is transcendent that it's bigger than all of us that when we we come close to god when we reach up to something that is greater than ourselves we find ourselves being blessed by it in the world around us um any thoughts on that the whole abuse of the concept of judgment
1: yeah oh i'm sorry you want to go ahead
2: no i was just going to say you know a lot of times it can Get, really go down a rabbit hole because all of a sudden uh, realize that it that this is not just a, a a unilateral movement. It can sometimes be a bilateral movement where we are often engaged in many different folks and many uh, you know different dealings going on and yeah. trying to be right related. All of a sudden, someone can use uh, you know well you're supposed to be a, a, a righteous man or a righteous lady, and then you're going to have to give me this or give me that. And all of a sudden, you see. Someone in the name uh, uh, manipulating to try to get something out of someone else, and yeah, so take you the know, Lord's I think, I think it's it's very, very much um, an, an opportunity for others to try to attack someone using just like you said. Well, you're not supposed to judge; you're supposed to do this, supposed oh yeah, to do that. Yeah. But you can always tell by the motive and the intention on who is trying to seek um, yeah. more. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and again, I think sometimes. Some of it, to give it the benefit of doubt, the language of don't judge is because the church in the past has kind of made some uh, molehills into mountains, and we have kind of staked our flag in things that really we didn't need to be staking our flag into. Um, And so we've kind of been saying, okay, don't judge the little things, or basically don't condemn the little things is kind of what that uh, reaction was supposed to be, and it has over-exaggerated and I also find it funny who says, don't judge me. Now, sometimes, uh, again, sometimes people make mistakes or accidents and they do something goofy and like, hey, don't judge me. And you're like, or, or, you know, it's a guilty pleasure TV show you watch and you're like, ah, oh, don't judge me. Um, but then there's a more serious side of it. And generally the person saying don't judge me is the person who knows they're doing something dumb yeah. or wrong or uh potentially harmful to themselves or others and i remember one time i was in college and we weren't doing anything bad i think we were hanging around watching a movie and someone did something just kind of silly and stupid and they were like don't judge me and then they hurt themselves and i'm like i'm going to judge you on that one because yeah. you knew better and you did it anyway and, and so yeah. my response was basically i'm going to judge you uh, don't be stupid. Like it's really quite yeah, simple. It's, it's the idea
0: <laughs> in Greek, you get kind of krino and criso, these different words for condemnation and then like the critical thinking. It's okay for us to have that critical thinking judgments that we make. And even with other people saying we're having discernment here, but we also have to be reminded that mercy triumphs over condemnation, over that sort of judgment. And we're to be an aspirational people that want to move up. So we've got to strike that balance yes. moving into, uh, Matthew, but we also have to have that accountability. Because when you don't have the accountability, the sin nature is always wanting advantage. It's always wanting to grow. Um, but let's go down to Matthew 21. Talk about some f- trees that don't produce fruit. So Matthew 21, 19 reads as follows. And seeing a fig tree by the side of the road, he went and found it, nothing on it at all, but leaves. And he said to it, may fruit never come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. That's Jesus, of course, who curses the fig tree. What do y'all think about that? Was that a serious thing for Jesus to do? Wouldn't a lot of people say, what was the fig tree hurting? It...
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think this story, um, I'm trying to remember. I think we did Bible quizzing as kids on Matthew. Um, And this story always bothered me as a kid because I remember thinking, like, what did the tree... Because also, I believe, maybe in the verse before, maybe it's in a different Gospels account, where it says, like, it wasn't time for there to be figs on the fig tree. And so you're like, what what is Jesus doing here? Like, this seems really odd. What did the tree do to anyone? So what? It didn't have figs. Be nice to the fig tree. Um, But, you know, in understanding better, the the real life parable that's taking place in front of the disciples. um, I think also in another verse, it mentions that the tree was having leaves as if it was bearing uh, fruit. And so the tree was trying to, again, put on airs. It was trying to pretend it was something it wasn't. It was that false weight, uh, that false scale um, and so that's really, I guess, where the, the lesson comes in. But there is, yeah, and this is where, again, I don't want to be overcritical of the people who say don't judge me because there is a part of me that's like, you're right, like being judged is, it stinks. Like, like you don't want people to condemn you and dislike you. And and so, yeah, there's a part of me that definitely kind of like gets like, you don't want the fig tree to die. It was just a tree. Come on, Jesus. Yeah. Um, But jesus is making a very uh profound and eternal statement that extends beyond the life of that tree of what it means uh not just to be hypocritical because often even hypocrisy kind of almost becomes its own fake virtue um but it's beyond that in saying this this intentionality and deception and in manipulation
0: yeah and continuing on in this in verse 20 it says when the disciples saw it they were amazing How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only will you do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. Whatever you ask for in prayer with faith, you will receive. So, what I find fascinating about this, and you were talking about being kind of confused by this as a kid, I was too. But what we find with this is Jesus is calling his people to a faith that is active it's a faith that produces actions again you're not saved by works but down the street down the stream of having faith is there will be behaviors there will be actions down the stream from that and if you're not producing fruit like this tree jesus finds that to be that abomination that that is mentioned there in the book of proverbs these false scales these things that are important to to god and you even find in the book of revelation jesus talks about you know i'll spit you out if you're just going to be lukewarm, if you're not going to do anything. Jesus wants us to have an active faith that is producing fruit. Um, So we're going to wrap up with that. Scripture tells us that it is an abomination to God, things that don't produce fruit. So kind of a solution to a lot of the conversations we've had together, wrapping all this together with a bow. We're held hostage by fake virtues. And in our world, we've got to a point where the mainstream is now fake virtue where stuff that has no meaning, no substances, and even people are doing outright lies out in broad daylight. So we ask the people of God, we need to be skeptical of that. We need to be willing to test things. And as C.S. Lewis describes courage as testing of the virtues, we need to be willing to proactively test the virtues and push back when the world demands that we play these games of uneven weights because they're games. And you can always tell when you call stuff a game, people get mad, you hit the right button because they don't like it being mocked because it is something that should be mocked. The whole fake virtue thing should be mocked. And we shouldn't be complacent when we're told to go along with fruitless trees. We need to start rooting up some fruitless fig trees because people get comfortable in a world with fruitless fig trees. And that's one of the big problems with fake virtues is people start to forget that there's real virtue, that there's real meaning. And that's really where I think a lot of our society is. We're in a place where people, they have that vacuum of meaning. And if the church isn't distinguishing herself from the world, well, why would people turn to us for meaning? If we're not shining the actual light of Christ Jesus, if we're just shining... A light that's very much the same as the world around us. We're saying whatever the experts are saying. We're saying listen to your local experts. Do all this. You know why would you turn to the church, especially when those experts are flapping around in the wind like the the car sales thing that blows up and does like that. Like why in the world would you go along? The the church must distinguish herself, and to, and especially things that obviously bear no fruit. So what are y'all thoughts on there? Our Bible study, and then we'll wrap up the show with our final thoughts.
2: Well, I think you know. For sure that, that, you know, the the bearing of fruit, and the fig tree, you know, if we look at that is how the people of God, we're called to not only bear fruit, but we're also not called to rob and steal people's time. So if you're not bearing fruit and just as, uh, you know, you say things that are, you know, fruitless, empty, uh, and we see this in a lot of the, the things that we've looked at in the prior episodes and stuff, uh but you know when we see this emptiness uh used in the name of Jesus it's not bearing fruit then what it does it it does it it does something to the integrity and and it's uh it's uh it's it's an abomination so yeah. we are called to we're saved by faith but once we Turn in this faith this loyalty Then we are coming face first Into uh, you know being able to do All kinds of works and so God is saying You know you produce fruit in, in in the Works that you live not that you are saved by Your works you're saved by the faithfulness Of Christ Jesus and his yeah. work mm-hmm. Ben any final thoughts on that?
1: Yeah I, I think it's um, important also to Note that this passage is being Taught to the disciples um, and a lot Of uh, some of the things uh, Pastor Dylan said earlier about this Passage are also Uh, you know about revelation about i will spit you out was specifically to a church to the faith community um and these are warnings um i mean even the sermon that gets a lot of flack uh i forget the pastor's name but uh sinners in the hands of an angry god uh you know being like roaches dangling over flames um or grasshoppers or whatever analogy he uses um that was preached to Christians that was not an evangelical sermon that was a discipleship sermon uh this you know uh, when jesus says abide in me and i will abide in you or if you do not bear fruit my father will prune you out like again this is not just to everyone this is to specifically the disciples to those following jesus saying there is a high expectation also later or uh in another passage jesus will say to those much is given much will be demanded um we are called to live a life of holiness in this life, and that's hard, and it's difficult, and it's frustrating, but you you are called to do it, not in your own power, of course. Uh, that's why the starts with, uh, in John's gospel, abide in me, but there is something where we cannot, like Pastor Dylan said, we have to shine a different light than the world's shining. We have to live by a different ethic, a different morality, a, a different lifestyle than the rest of the world, because if we're not... I mean, then let's just give it up and let's go live like the hedonist. Like, I, I, if if we do not have a hope uh, that we are living into, if we cannot be a holy people in this lifetime, then why bother? Yeah. Um. So we have to bear fruit. And again, difficult, painstakingly difficult sometimes, sometimes all the time joyous, but sometimes very difficult um, and frustrating. But... That's what, if we are if we are to be fig trees, then we are to bear figs. Like, there's no, there's nothing else we can be than, you know, than that, to do that.
0: All righty. It's been a great show. Great yeah, conversation. So have y'all enjoyed
1: this? Yeah, I have.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, good. Um, so what are our final thoughts? Predictions, final thoughts, anything, unrelated, anything we talked about today that you just <laughs> want to throw out there? Do we have them ready? Pastor Mike, you look like you are about to...
2: Well, when we become uh, a child of God, we belong to the household of God. God is our Father, Uh, so we're we're part of the family of God, and we don't live under the world's rules. We're not a child of the world anymore, but we are a child of God, and we live under God's rules. And that is where we find the great virtues um, of truth, you know, and justice, and and uh, uh, beauty, and love. And we find that God is uh, not only Perfect in that, but He calls us and shapes us through a lifetime of becoming more and more like Him, and that's good news. And so, in everything that we said, there's such great hope, and it, that hope is in Christ Jesus. All right. Yeah. Amen. All
1: right. So my final thought has nothing to what we were doing <laughs> talking about uh, today, but um, my mom sent me a uh, she. I guess someone, either she or someone in her family, digitized a, an old record of uh, her her family singing there were a couple of different trios of the grandparents and the parents um but there's a they sing a chorus of a song about being under uh, christ's wing and then my great-grandfather Reads and kind of pre-preaches a little bit of his sermon, and I aspire one day to be so good a, a preacher like my great grandfather, uh, to where I can uh, orate to uh, a five-part harmony. Like I, I just, uh, one day I'm gonna be as good. As we're, we're gonna have to get, get that, that
0: clip on on the show because it's pretty. Oh yeah, it's great. It, it's great.
1: And it, it is. It is fantastic. And camp meeting culture is a beast unto its own. Um, with all of its joys and sorrows, but I just, I you can need, only hope to be that good one day. You
0: need a tape recorder in your house where you've got that. So when the dystopian, when our society devolves even more to it, it's a dystopian just, you know apocalyptic hellscape somebody can come in your house Mm -hmm. and find that and press play and listen to it for a while (laughs) with no context at all but that's just the the clue they have of your life
2: you know i think i think when i when i heard just a clip of it there's such a great harmonizing going on of the the singers but also with with uh uh, i guess your great grandfather
1: -grandfather. Yeah. yeah your
2: great grandfather coming in and and preaching with that, there is such a harmonizing that you you just feel the presence of the Spirit of God coming into that camp meeting. And and like like I said, that is beauty. That it sounds beautiful. It, it you know you can't you can't see it, but you can only imagine. But you almost like feel the presence of God harmonizing everything together. Yeah. It's, it's, it,
1: a, it's the right kind of experiential. Yeah, yeah you know, it, it's it really fascinating.
2: Is. Uh, my my final
0: thought is um, it's pretty clear to us now, the coronavirus. Yeah, we're, we're going to go Corona for the end. The Rona is Haman from the book of Esther. Explain. Oh, yes. And I'll explain that. It wants to be king of the world. Hmm. And it's it's got the ring to the king, so it can make decrees. It can do a lot of stuff. But it's not really the king. And also, in the end, it will lose. Um, and so it
2: has not the last say.
0: It has not the last say. So the coronavirus is Haman, who's the villain from the book of Esther. It's got the king's ring. It really wants the king's robes as well, because it's never satisfied. It it wants the full throne. But it it has the power to make decrees right now, but that will end soon. All right, would somebody close us out in prayer? Pastor Amanda, would you pray for us?
1: Yeah, let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we are grateful for your many blessings, for this blessing of time, of fellowship, and community, uh, not just here with uh, these in this room but across time and space uh, for those who are watching it far off and who will watch it in the future uh, your presence knows no bounds so we are grateful for who you are that you are king and ruler Um, and even as we face these real difficulties in life whether it be uh, the coronavirus or the political landscape or the misinformation that's out there uh, reveal yourself to us Reveal yourself to our leaders, reveal yourself uh, to our pastors, reveal yourself to our congregations. Uh, May we draw closer to you and be made more and more into the image that you have created us to be. We ask these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: And with that, God love you and have a blessed day.